This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 47. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we have another triple feature with Action Comics number 972, the finale of the Men of Steel arc from January 25th, 2017, and Superwoman episode, excuse me, issues 6 and 7 from January and February of 2017, respectively. And if you were here last episode, you'll understand why I'm covering both of those issues of Superwoman, Superwoman, but if not, I will reiterate when we get to the B section of the show. But first, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, when I came into my Superman fandom, I started my current Twitter account within a couple weeks. Like, I I fully embraced the Superman experience around December 15th, I think, was my first Superman-related tweet on my old Twitter account, and I started at about Superman on, like, January 2nd of 2021. And since then, I've been very proud of my social media engagement. Um, I, I started it by... Um, doing synopses of every Superman book I was reading, or at least most of them. Um, And I've gone on to kind of expand my thoughts and stuff like that. And I've gotten a pretty decent-sized following, and I engage a lot with other other fans and other people and share my thoughts on this and that. And uh, Anthony from um, Digging for Kryptonite even commented when I was on his show that the, the Twitter account is kind of a whole separate animal from the podcast even it's got its own separate feel and I'm very happy about it and um, I've even expanded my social media presence since Twitter is is up to shenanigans so now I'm on Facebook I've got a Facebook page and I've got an Instagram account and I've got a hive account now <laughs> and I'll talk more about that at the end of the show. I don't, I don't think I'm going to get a whole lot of mileage out of Hive. Um, but you may have noticed recently that I have been minimizing my, my social media engagement. It's not because of all the weirdness going on in Twitter. Luckily, I've managed to curate my Twitter account where it's pretty much a bubble. Um, it's, it's Superman fans and a few other uh, comic book fans of a different stripe. Um, some Marvel, some DC, a little bit of this and that, some Transformers, some Masters of the Universe, and a couple politics accounts. And, you know, the 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 bad stuff that's going on in, on Twitter, I find out 
largely secondhand. It's more about like the political accounts that I follow tweeting about it and stuff like that. Um, and I've mostly been using Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to just kind of promote the podcast. And that is because I have since the, the week of Thanksgiving, since my wife was off all that week and my daughter was, you know, we, we don't do homeschool when the, when the public school system that we're in is, is also out. Um, I had some extra time on my hands and I've actually begun a writing project that I'm pretty heavily invested in and, and it's just cutting into my time. And that doesn't mean I'm any less of a Superman fan and it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop doing the podcast. It's just cut into my time. I have the kind of right now, the only issues I'm reading are the brand new ones that come out, uh, which I borrow from my friend um, and the, the issues that I need to cover for the show. Now it's, this is a kind of a big deal for me for a couple of reasons. You know, one, I'm not going to share the running project with you guys. It's very personal. It's, you know, it, it's fantasy, you know, very Dungeons and Dragonsy, Um, and I doubt, you know, that anything financial will come of it, but it's not something that I intend for social media and it's not something that I intend for the podcast. It's just something I'm doing for me. And I've kind of had aspirations of being a writer since I was in high school and that has never really gone the way I wanted it to. And, uh, usually I will, I will lose interest in a project and move on very quickly. And I'm trying not to do that this time. I, (laughs) Previously, my strategy for writing was just start writing, have an, have a vague idea in mind for a main character, revolve everything around that main character, start writing and figure it out as it goes as you go along. And that hasn't worked very well, surprisingly, uh, unsurprisingly, I should say. So what I've really been doing is mostly research and note taking. I've been world building and I've been kind of uh, building the, the characters that I want to to be in the book. And uh, to do that, I've been uh, reading a lot of Dungeons and Dragons related wikis. I've been fascinated with Dungeons and Dragons since I was a little kid, um, even though I have very little interest in playing it. I think I've played D&D maybe three times my entire life. Uh, I don't think I particularly <laughs> enjoyed any of those outings. Uh, not to say that D&D isn't fun in its own way. But, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I think my dad, someone gave my dad a D&D starter kit when I was, like, elementary school age. I remember it showing up in our house um, one Christmas, I think. Either his sister gave it to him or somebody gave it to him as a gag gift. Or my mom got it thinking it was a party game and not really realizing what it was. And just kind of sticking it in a cabinet. And I found it. And with, I thought the pictures were neat. And about the time I was 10, I started, you know, at least reading the character creation parts and reading about the different races and reading the monster manuals. And then eventually I would check out the more, the, you know, the AD&D books from the library and read them. Because I'm just fascinated by the lore. I'm fascinated by the character creation and stuff. And by the time I got into middle school, I was um, reading slash playing the... They're kind of like choose-your-own-adventure games but with dice that are based in the various uh, 
TSR Worlds. I think one was one was about Raceland from Dragonlance, and there was one that was in the Forgotten Realms, and the others were basic, you know, uh, other parts of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And I thought those were neat. And uh, by high school, I was reading the Dragonlance novels and the just the word in uh, Forgotten Realms books. And so I've always been kind of fascinated by it. And um, I've come, I've had this idea in my head since like 2014 that I, that I vaguely have a, a plan to revolve a story around. As I'm researching, I come across this entry for a Forgotten Realms deity that is very, very similar to an idea that I came up with, you know, on my own, coincidentally, around 2014. They have very similar names. They have very similar concepts. Uh, mine is very loosely based on a character from uh, Celtic mythology. And so I've been uh, working a lot to kind of retweak the idea to keep it um, true to my original concept, but at the same time make it distinct enough that I wouldn't get sued for copyright violation if I ever get this thing published. Um, but another reason that's really important to me is because when I get invested in something mentally, I have very little chill about it. Um, and my, my interest doesn't divide evenly. Um, like when I got really into Superman, I lost interest in everything else. Um, you know, hobby-wise, right? Like, I have a 90-10 uh, balance system. Like, I'm 90% interested in whatever my main focus is and 10% interested in everything else, which is not a great way to be. Um, for example, um, I love the band A Sound of Thunder. They are the band that plays the theme song for the show. Um, I am actually Twitter mutuals with the lead singer of the band. Uh, she's awesome. She she's the one that gave me permission to use the uh, the song for the show without any copyright problems. Um, but when I got really into Superman, I stopped listening to them because they weren't Superman enough for me. You know, I I think a lot of their music is very inspirational. Some of it's also very dark, and some of it's kind of sexual. And I'm like, well, that, that doesn't feel very Superman to me. So I stopped listening to them for months, and I had to kind of you know work my way back into that. And I think trying to maintain a balance between my two interests right now is a very delicate act for me. Um, right now, it's about 60-40. It's about 60% my writing project, 40% Superman and the podcast and the social media. And I want to get it to about 50-50 where I'm doing things slightly more balanced or even 60-40 the other way. Um, but I, I want to maintain this balancing act. And I, I don't want to lose interest in one thing that I like because I'm doing something else that I'm interested in. Because once that balance shifts too far, it takes me months or even years to get back to it. And I just, it's part of my personal evolution is, is learning how to maintain a better balance of things in general. And that's really important to me. And that's all the thoughts I have about that. So let's go talk about some comic books.
Okay, once again, we are going to be starting out our comic book journey this episode with Action Comics number 972, and you will have to forgive me if I end up closing the app or or closing out of the comic I'm using because my lovely wife got me a new phone for our anniversary last week, and it is amazing, but I'm still getting used to the navigation on it, which is a fine balance between uh, intuitive and extremely sensitive. So, you know, bear with me if I if I screw up a little bit. This episode, or this issue, excuse me, is written by Dan Jurgens with pencils by Steven Segovia. Uh, he, who is uh, a supporter of the Comicsgate movement, is the inker. Ulysses Ariola does the colors, and Rob Lee is the letterer's. Uh, Comic Gate Boy and Stephen Downer did the main cover, and Gary Frank and Brad Anderson did the variant. Now, even though I am not a fan of Comic Gate Boy as a, it's not the main Comic Gate guy. It's it's not Ethan, no, but um, it, it is someone who uh, he did the he penciled the first three issues of the Cable series back in the early 90s. Um, that's the other, other than his inking, that's the only thing I'm aware of that he has done. Um, but yes, he is a, he went on Ethan's uh, YouTube channel slash podcast and was joining in in the, the making fun of women and people of color in the LBGTQ community and the idea of, of gatekeeping comics from them, both as creators and as fans. Now that's not to say he's not a, a talented artist, um, the main cover is of Superman and Lex in his Superman armor, back-to-back, um, ready to fight with images of the Call and Zade, the God Slayers, and their, um, their boss, uh, a lady whose name I cannot remember at this moment, while we have like a blasted scene of Metropolis in the background, and it is pretty good. Um, if I knew then what I know now, and if I were interested, had been interested in getting this uh, book off of the shelves at the time, I would have not gotten a cover, even though it's pretty good. However, the Gary Frank cover is great. It is of Superman hovering just off the ground, holding a kitten in his hand next to a tree as he floats down and hands the kitten back to the young boy who the kitten belongs to. And this is all in front of some buildings in Metropolis, and it's great. I love Gary Frank's artwork so much. Even though sometimes he makes the characters look a little more sinister than they need to, he does a really, really fantastic job, and I love this cover a lot. Now, as a recap, um, Lex has been targeted by a guy named Lacal and his sidekick Zade, uh, Lacal is the God Slayer, but I call them both the God Slayers for brevity's sake. Um, and Lacal has visions of the future, and he has seen in his visions Lex taking over Apocalypse and using it to commit galaxy wide genocide. And so he has sentenced Lex to death. Uh, the two of them kidnapped Lex, took them to their home planet Nadisi that was ravaged by Apocalypse many years ago. Um, Superman showed up, rescued Lex, they boom-tubed away, but they boom-tubed to a red sun planet where Superman's powers are limited. Now, while all this is going on, 
a mysterious other Clark Kent has also appeared around the same time that our Clark reemerged as Superman. Um, this other Clark, according to a psychic scan, fully believes he is the true Clark Kent. Um, he has no powers. He has memories similar to Clark's growing up, only he was orphaned by from a regular family other instead of Kryptonians. Um, and he has recently shown up at Lois's, the, the new 52 Lois's apartment where our Lois is doing some research and has their son, her son, John with them. And this is the first time that other Clark has encountered John. So, um, let's jump in. So on the planet, uh, not the planet in the DC, but this red sun planet, uh, we open with a splash page of Lex saying, I said back off while he's in a fighting stance and he's blasting energy at the God Slayers with Superman behind him, still powerful, but not as extremely powerful as he usually is. And we're getting the, the internal dialogue narration in this episode, um, or at least during the scenes, with Lex and Superman from Lex's point of view, which is... Uh, different than what we usually get. It's pretty good. And Lex is thinking of like, of all the times Superman has been in my way, he's finally on my side, ostensibly, and he's basically useless, and I'm having to carry all the weight. But as he's thinking this, Superman is doing a good job of fighting back. He's still strong. He's still fast. He punches Zade, who has the ability to weaken other people either physically or mentally or their powers or their like or their technology or whatever he punches Zade you know distractingly Zade is a big guy with gray skin and long whitish blonde hair and a beard and tusks and the call is also a big guy with whitish gray skin and long hair and a beard Zade is just much bigger than the call he also has purple energy crackling out of his hands. But, uh, like I said, Superman punches the call, or punches Zade, and then uses his speed to zip around behind the call and snatch his gauntlet off of his hand. And it is a gauntlet with energy blasting abilities. And it's also real tough. And so, kind of flying, kind of running, he uses the gauntlet and its laser beams to to blast a big, like, obelisk thing that's behind Lakal and send it crashing down on top of both of the God Slayers. Now, Lex and Superman both know that that's not going to kill them or take them out of the fight uh, completely, so they both uh, make a strategic retreat, and uh, they find a place where they can regroup so that Lex can boot up the um, his mother box, to boom tube them back home. And uh, and Lex is commenting about how resource how surprisingly resourceful Superman is. And he's like, you know, even without your powers, you, you're doing a good job. Um, you know, you're you're thinking strategically, you're using your enemies' strengths against them. And um, and Superman says, I had to learn to do things the hard way. And we get just a panel that's a reference to the um, the first part of the Superman Convergence two-parter, 
where if you remember from episode one of this show, um, the pre-crisis, Superman and or Clark and Lois had been... I don't know if it's supposed to be a moment in time or a moment in... or part of, like, physical space because convergence doesn't make any sense. But their metropolis... No, the pre-crisis... No, mm, pre-flashpoint Gotham City had been bottled up and Lois and Clark had been in Gotham working on a story. And so Clark had taken to Batmaning it up without his powers to the best of his ability, basically wearing a ninja suit. Um, and so we get a one-page panel referencing that. And just as Lex gets the boom tube worked up, Clark says, well, wait a minute, we need to take care of this here because I have no intention of taking the fight back to Metropolis. So speaking of Metropolis, we go to New 52 Lois's apartment where John has answered the door with mysterious other Clark bringing up their takeout order. And um, mysterious other Clark is like, hey, who are you? And John's like, um... And other Clark is like, so, cat got your tongue? My name's Clark Kent. I'm a friend of Lois's. And Lois is like, John, get away from the door. And John goes running back into the apartment. And um, other Clark is like, hey, who's that kid? He kind of looks like you. And Lois says he's her cousin's son. And she is babysitting for him while her cousin is out of town on a business trip. And Clark's like, hey, I intercepted your your takeout guy at the door and offered to bring your food up to you, which is creepy. And um, he says, I need your help working on the Geneticron story. Now, Geneticron is this company that's been doing something suspicious. And somehow they got a hold of Doomsday, which we covered in, I don't know, I think like episode nine of the show. And um, we don't know how they got Doomsday. We don't know why they had Doomsday, but they had Doomsday. And before, according to this Clark, before the before the New Fifty Two Superman died, um, New Fifty Two Superman had put Clark into hiding to keep him safe from Geneticron, and had volunteered to take his place in case there was an attack. Which is why when. Uh, New 52 Lois outed that Superman's identity, it was revealed as being Clark Kent. Now, we, of course, know that's not accurate, but that's his story, and it is what he seems to believe. And recently, the Geneticron building has gone missing. It has been teleported to the Amazon. I think it's got something to do with the God Slayers. I think it's revealed that they're the ones who teleported it as a distraction for Superman, but I'm not 100% clear on that. It's a little, it's a little fuzzy. But Lois is like, look, I don't have time to help you with your story right now. I'm, I'm, I'm helping John with his homework. And he's like, hey, I'm good with math. I can help. No, you got to go. I'll sit in the office. And he's like, but I need help. And then she slams the door in his face and says, bye. And John is like, that was so creepy. He's, he looks just like dad, but he's not like dad at all. And, um, as this other Clark walks out through the hallways of the apartment building. He says, she's lying to me. I can feel it. The question is why. Now, as a reporter, you know, it makes sense that he wants to dig into this. But the way he's drawn is really creepy and kind of stalkery. And as we'll see next 
issue of this series, he comes across as being really entitled to, which just makes it a whole lot worse. So back on this Red Sun planet. Now, I, I want to stop and talk about the whole Red Sun thing, because the way it's written is that as soon as they show up on this planet, Clark loses like 90% of his powers. Now, that has always bugged me a little bit because usually the way it's written is like, oh, I can't process red sun energy the way I can yellow sun energy, so my energy is immediately depleted. Now, if there, if that was written in a different way, it would totally make sense. If it was like, oh, the, the radiation of the red sun planet counters out the yellow sun radiation in my cells, which depletes my energy, but it, it's always certain it's like, oh, well, I'm not around a red, a yellow sun, I'm around this other sun instead, therefore my powers have faded, which doesn't make any sense, because we've seen plenty of stories where Clark goes out into space, and it takes, you know, days for him to lose his powers, even during final night, when the, when the sun got snuffed out by the sun eater, it still took Clark, you know, several days to a week for his powers to begin to fade. So just being around a different sun shouldn't have that effect unless they write it, you know, specifically. But it's it's so very rarely written that way. It's usually textualized the other way. But I usually just kind of squint hard and look at it sideways and just pretend that they're saying that the red sun energy cancels out the yellow sun energy in the cells. But anyway... So Lacal has these has these jet boots and he's flying along and he's chasing Lex who's running along um, the ground and um, Lex is thinking to himself, "This is not going to go well for me." Um, Lacal, even with my armor mostly powered up, is I'm not a, a I'm not a, a match for Lacal. He's He's genetically stronger than me, plus he has his own armor, plus he has all these weapons, plus he has like decades, if not centuries, of fighting experience. And we see that, you know, Lakal's got this sword that kind of looks like a samurai sword, and he slashes the, the, the blaster cannon off of Lex's wrist, and he slashes part of his armor, and he blasts part of his armor with the sword, and Lex is, Lex is barely holding his own, but it's like, he's like, He's thinking, it's ironic that even without his powers, my life depends on Superman. So we see that elsewhere in this area, Zaid is stalking through this jungle, looking for Superman. And you know, he's basically saying that the red sun makes him easy prey, and he's a, he's a hunter, he can sense Superman close. But then we see that Superman is up on this ledge, and he's taken off his cape, and he jumps down behind Zade and he wraps the cape around Zade's head, blinding him and using the momentum to swing him to the ground. And he's using Lacal's gauntlet um, on his right hand to smack um, Zade over and over and over into in the head. And then as uh, and he's saying you don't need powers to do great things or other ways of getting the job done. Cunning, speed, agility, they even things up with the biggest and strongest of foes, which I I really like that about this track that um, that Jurgens is taking with Superman because so many people say like, well, Superman is just his powers, and without them, he's fairly useless. Well, I like the fact that Jurgens has established that Superman has learned to fight really well, even without his powers. Like we see him doing like a flip 
off of off of his aides back you know landing on his feet you know he can fight you know very well you know and as he does this flip off of his aides back zig smashes head first into a rock and as Zade gets up um, Superman has the blaster of the gauntlet pointed at him and Zade says I won't surrender so be prepared to kill me even though the call will succeed in his mission and Superman says I don't want you to surrender I want you to listen so back in the fight between Lex and Lacal, both have taken a lot of damage uh, Lex has several large bruises on his face part of um Lacal's visor has been smashed, parts of his armor is smashed, parts of the bodysuit that he wears under the armor have been ripped. There are big chunks missing out of Lex's armor. And um, it'll, uh, I can't tell if his sword is, I think he's got, I think he's using a second sword that's just shorter, supposed to be more like a Wakasashi. But he has pretty much won this fight. Lex's armor is powerless. He's got him cornered. He's coming at him with this basically big knife slash short short sword and um, he's got the the blade raised he's running at Lex saying the time for justice has come goodbye human and from off panel Zade calls to him and tells him to stop and he says the Kryptonian wants to speak with you and we see where uh, Superman has marched Zade back to the fight with the gauntlet pointed at his head and um and uh, Zaid says there's nothing left to be, or Lakal said there's nothing left to be said. If death is the decree, then death it shall be. And Zaid says, wait, he could have killed me, but he didn't. His commitment to life is clear. Hear him out. And um, Superman says, my commitment comes from faith that any being, no matter how bad or misguided, deserves to wake up the next day. I was suspicious of Luthor, thought he was evil and bound to get worse. And... Um, he says, I looked into Luthor's affairs. I did everything I could to find evidence of guilt. And you know what I found? Nothing. And we actually see Superman kind of looking down, looking somewhat ashamed of himself. Um, which is, I'll, I'll come back to it, but this is where I started to appreciate this arc when I read ahead in a way that I hadn't before. And Zay says, look, it doesn't matter what you found so far. It's the future that makes him guilty. I've seen the future. I know what he's going to do. And Superman says, the very fact that you're weary of your way of life, that you want to give it up, proves how wrong you are. No matter how much you say you believe your visions, there's a small part that can't help wonder. And um, Superman says, you'll, you'll never know. You never know what your victims we're going to do because you kill your targets before we can find out what the future truly holds. So Superman takes off the gauntlet, he throws it to the ground, and he says, Consider this, you thought me worthy of being your successor. Keep thinking of me of that way, a protector of life. I pledge to you here and now that I will never let Lex Luthor or anyone else ever get to the point where they destroy Earth or any other world. Look into my future instead of Luthor's, and I think you'll see I'm right. And so... Lakal does that. He summons this sphere of glowing light that he looks into. And from Lex's internal monologue, we see, uh, we hear, we see him say, I will never know the wonders of what the God Slayer saw in that moment. All I know is that he softened and may have exhibited the slightest of smiles. It appears the light of Superman's future overwhelms the perceived threat of my own. And um, with that, Lakal just takes off the rest of Advisor the rest of his visor and says it's been an honor Kryptonian prepare yourself 
and then just teleports them both back to Metropolis. Um, and Lex is like, that's it? We don't even get an apology? Nothing? And um, Lex asks, well, what did he see in your future? Um, and Lex, the whole sense, issue one of the series, Superman and Lex have been, if not at each other's throats, then definitely at odds. Because this is the Lex who genuinely wants to do right, at least at this point in his career. Um, this is a Superman who's been very suspicious of him based on how his home realities Lex acted. And Lex is the first one to kind of extend the olive branch. He said, when you first arrived, I considered you an imposter. I realize now that you truly are a Superman. Having met Ultraman in the crime syndicate, I've had experience with parallel universes. That's from the Forever Evil storyline, which I'm currently reading on my own, which I'm really enjoying. It's the only thing that explains you. And Superman smiles a little and says, perhaps. And Lex says, this other Earth of yours, it has its own Lex Luthor, one who went far over the line. That's why you never trusted me. And uh, Superman says, that the only thing that's important now is that I be open-minded enough to judge a man based on what he is rather than what I fear him to be. And so the two of them reach out and shake hands and Lex, has, in addition to his armor, has been wearing the New 52 Superman's cape. Um, in one sense, you could say that is him um, replacing the New 52 Superman, but he also says it's as, as a, to honor the New 52 Superman. And he hands it to he, try, he starts to hand it to Superman, and says it should be yours now. And our Superman says, no, it belonged to a Superman who gave his life fighting for what's right. You want to inspire people, honor his sacrificing by find, finding another way to pay tribute. And um, we see later, as Perry White walks into the Daily Planet office, that the cape is now hanging in a display case in the office which is pretty neat. You know, I don't remember exactly what Lex does from this point on, um, because I believe this is where I started, like, heavily skimming the series, um, with the exception of um, the next few issues, which is the, the build-up to um, Superman Reborn and then Superman Reborn itself. Um, and we get a brief shot of... Clark and Lois and John at the breakfast table um, and Superman says he has no idea what Lacal saw in his vision but then we go back to Planet in the DC with Lacal meditating and looking into one of his prophecy globes and Zaid is asking what did you actually see in the Kryptonian's future Lacal and Lacal says enough to know we don't have to worry unfortunately he does and we see where he has several of these globes pulled up and we have images of um, uh, Lex in the dark side armor, sitting in a throne, looking injured, with um, Superman standing over him, holding a mother box. And I don't. I'll come back to that. And we have an image of the mysterious other Clark. We have an image of John looking startled as something wishes by him. We see blank the the sociopathic telekinetic from the Lois and Clark miniseries. 
we have the pre-Flashpoint Cyborg Superman, and we have Mr. Oz. Now, again, I know there's, there's a story arc where Lois and Clark and John go to Apocalypse. I don't necessarily think that this image of Lex in the dark side armor is a reflection of that. I think maybe that was a story arc that Jurgens had in mind that he did not get an opportunity to do. I think that uh, Superman Reborn derailed his plan somewhat. I think that um, Doomsday Clock, which we will eventually talk about, derailed his plans a lot. And then, of course, being taken off the book after Action Comics 1000 just really crushed everything Jurgens was trying to do. And like I said the last couple episodes that we talked about Action Comics, I've really come to appreciate this series. I really appreciate the vision that Jurgens had. We'll never know what his ultimate plan was because he doesn't like talking about what he didn't get to do other than the fact that he planned on bringing back Conduit. Um, but he definitely had something in mind that he wanted to do with this book and every arc has been kind of building to that and I like the fact that this arc was kind of all about Lex accepting that Albert Clark truly is the proper successor to New 52 Superman on this in this reality and Superman accepting as it was written at the time that Lex did not have any ill, um, nefarious intentions for the future. Now, we who've read ahead know that's not the case. That, um, that everything after Dark Knight's Metal changed about Lex. Uh, after Ju- um, Justice League No Justice, Lex becomes one of the three most dangerous beings in the entire multiverse second only to the Batman who laughs in Perpetua. So, or I should say third only to them. But, as it was written at this time, Lex had, you know, a strong possibility of being, if not a heroic, or at least a anti-villainous character um, strongly set for him. And so, you know, again, and I've, I've mentioned this before, as much as I like um, the Justice Doom War in in that Justice League series, which I'm looking forward to eventually talking about. As much as I like what Philip Kennedy Johnson has been doing with uh, action comics since after um, Death Metal, I still wish we could get an opportunity to see what Jurgens had originally planned. Um, Marvel had a series that they put out in the late 2000s called X-Men Forever, which was a out-of-continuity series drawn by Tom Grummet, longtime Superman artist, and written by Chris Claremont, which picks up after the events of adjectiveless X-Men number three, which is where he left the book. And it was what he would have, or what the evolved version of what he probably originally had intended for the series at the time and what he could do with an out-of-continuity series. I kind of wish we could get that with Jurgens and with his continued action comics run, that if 
the events of what take place under Bendis had never happened, here's how Jurgens would have continued on. And I think there's a lot of merit in that. And I, I think there actually was a Superman, a series titled Superman Forever that had been kicked around at some point. And, you know, I say go to, go with that name, give Jurgens the book back, or at least give him that book. Give him maybe Steven Segovia, um, maybe Jorge, <laughs> Jorge Jimenez would be great. Um, and just see what he would have done if he'd been given the opportunity. But um, that's all I've got to talk about for um, for Action 972. So I'm going to go play my usual ad, and I'll be back in just a moment to wrap up the first arc of Rebirth Era Superwoman. And we're back. And again, we're going to be talking about Superwoman issues 6 and 7, which is the which make up the final parts of the Who Killed Superwoman opening arc of the series. And I mentioned this at the end of last episode, that I am trying to streamline the reading rotation for the show. I want to scale it back down to Superman, Action Comics, Trinity, and New Superman, which are the four titles of this era that I enjoy the most. And what will also help us to get through, to move through this era at a quicker pace. Plus, I am, I find Supergirl pretty interesting, just not particularly entertaining. I find this series really interesting. I just also find it so incredibly frustrating the way it's written. I think it has some really smart ideas. I just find them really, at least clumsily executed. Um, and again, if you're a huge fan of either the Supergirl or Superwoman series, don't worry, I'm not dismissing them altogether. When I get to the end of an arc, uh, if there wasn't a really standout issue in that arc, I will summarize the whole thing. I might spend an entire issue, uh, episode of the show summarizing it, depending on how long it takes me. I, if I get to an issue in the middle of an arc that I think is particularly great, or if Clark is in it, then I will give that issue uh, the full breakdown. Um, and I'll talk more about that when I get to the end of these two comics. But anyway, um, both issues, I believe, have the same creative team. So let me, let me scroll backward to that or forward or wherever they, they hid them. Hang on just a second. Uh, let's see. Well, it looks like they hit him at the end. I hate that. <laughs> see, where are they? Oh, they're not even at the end. Where did they hide the stupid credits? Oh, there they are. Okay. About halfway through. So, um, I believe uh, both issues, like I said, have the same creative team. They're scripted by Phil Jimenez with layouts by also by Phil Jimenez. Finishes, in other words, uh, inks by Matt Santarelli. Um, wow, okay. Finishes, Matt Santorelli, Pencils and Inks, page 14 to 19. Jack Herbert, man, I don't know. Jack Herbert did the colors, hi-fi, did the letters, I don't know. The covers on this are are kind of, a, or the credits on this are kind of a mess. Uh, Rob Lee did the letters, hi-fi did the colors. 
Um, okay, and this Jack Herbert did pages 14 to 19. Okay, gotcha. Um, and I, it's probably somewhat different for issue 7, so we'll talk about that when we get to it. But quick recap. After New 52 Superman died, his energy um, went into New 52 Lois and into Lana Lang. And they both got superpowers. Uh, Lois got traditional Kryptonian powers. Lana got energy powers similar to the energy era of the late 90s. Um, and as part of his hero initiative, Lex launched this kind of like flying battleship called the Gestalt, which was immediately overtaken electronically. And both Lois and Lana were attacked by these female bizarros, um, at which point Lois died. And her energy also dissipated, and she crumbled to ash. Lex was shortly after kidnapped by his long-lost sister, Lena, who first in her first appearance just appears to be paraplegic but as we've moved on we found out that she's pretty much just a disembodied head attached to some power armor i think um and she is she's having her bizarro ladies kidnap people in metropolis and put them in these cubes that are kind of sort of out of time or something it doesn't really make sense <laughs> like I said these are all really interesting ideas none of which are fully ever explained and we'll get more of that in this story um, but as we left the last uh, issue of this series Lana was being confronted by two bizarro lady clones one of which has shape-shifting powers and made itself look just like Lona with identical powers. So it opens with Lex um, on the floor of his cube. Now, Lena has done something to him. Lena's the one behind the Bizarro clones and the kidnapping. And she's done something to Lex. Where one, his armor doesn't work and his legs don't work. Now, we'll... We'll get more about why she chose to not make his legs work. And that's the, the part of this, these two issues that I actually really liked or that I appreciated. But uh, Lex can't walk. His armor doesn't work. And we're getting narration that comes across as the omniscient narrator because, because Lana's not anywhere around. But then we find out that the narration is from Lana's point of view, which really does not work. That that's not how you do first-person narration. Like, if you're reading a Harry Dresden novel, and Harry's in his apartment, then Harry's also not going to narrate to you what the crime boss is doing on the other side of Chicago. If you read Harry Dresden novels, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, if you have a first-person character, they can't explain to you what's going on somewhere else at that moment because they're not an omniscient narrator. Now... If it's revealed later in the series that Lana explodes in the energy and merges with the time stream, and this is all explained later, then I will recant this. But as it's written right now, it doesn't work for me. But Lex is in this cube, and he's talking to the kryptonite man who's been dissected, and each of his parts is in a different cube, and each cube is, like I said, they're all kind of, kind of out of time, 
and Lex is talking to and they're talking to the kryptonite man just about basically how it sucks to be imprisoned and uh mercy uh lex's assistance is unconscious on the floor outside of the time cube now over the skies of metropolis lana is fighting with these two bizarresses which is what they end up being called and um like i said one of them looks like her and lana overloads her double by zapping it with electricity but then she passes out but then the other one now all these bizarros bizarroses they kind of look like lois a little bit and we get an explanation for why that is in a bit but the 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 one that just looks like bizarro lois catches her as she starts to pass out and then it puts itself between lana and her duplicate and blasts it and then punches it over and over and over and then eventually rips it in half and um as lana asks why lana passes out she had she's been having hallucinations of new 52 lois this whole time and it's it's written that lana has extreme anxiety and that she's taking medication for it now i myself have some anxiety um my wife has had extreme bouts of anxiety before we've never hallucinated in our anxiety i don't think that's a thing and i in these two issues it's not explained why but i my theory is that when new 52 lois died some of her superman energy went into lana and that energy had kind of copied lois's personality and so it's Lana's experiencing kind of like a neural clone of New 52 Lois. And um, the Bizarrus explains that she needs he she needs their help, both of them, implying that the Bizarrus can see the hallucination of Lois as well. And again, I don't have an I don't have a theory as to why that is. I don't think it's explained here, which is my big problem with this series. And as the Bizarrus flies Lana back to Steelworks, we see that a figure in a red hoodie with their face concealed is watching everything, and they run to try to catch up with Lana and the Bizarrus. But like I said, the Bizarrus takes Lana to Steelworks, Steel's lab. Um, Steel is there in his armor. Um, Natasha's girlfriend, Tracy 13, is there. And uh, they've been working on a way to try to take back Metropolis. Now, it's explained here that um, the Bizarruses are all clones of the crime syndicate Superwoman from Earth 3. Again, reference Forever Evil, which is, again, a really good series. And that... um, the Bizarrus says that she still has Superwoman's memories, but she's not, she doesn't have her personality. She doesn't want to be that kind of person. She wants to make up for all she's done. And this is apparently Bizarrus number one. And um, when we, when we flash back over to Lena, she refers to her as B0S number one, which is how the New 52 gets the name Bizarro because it's subject B0. So it's B0S, Bizarro S, or Bizarrus. 
And we see that this is Bizarro S number one, which is maybe, I guess maybe all the other ones are copies and copies and copies of her, which is why maybe they, she's the only one that's retained uh, some of her original template's personality. Um, but it again, it's never fully explained. So we go to where Lena is, and she's on the Gestalt, which has begun to mutate. And now it looks, looks like this really cool-looking alien spaceship, which is, again, really neat. Um, I think it's implied that because Lena has her own mother box, which we don't ever find out how she got, that's what's causing the ship to mutate. And... Um, so we go back and forth between Lena's perspective and Lana's. And in this issue, like I said, Lena's got this disembodied head and is connected to this giant battle suit by a series of cables. Now, previously, it's shown that her head was just hovering above the neck opening of the battle suit. And that's what we'll get again next issue, in which we'll cover in just a bit. So there's a lack of consistency in the art, which is frustrating. And after the Bizarrest talks to Lana and them, we get this revelation six issues into a seven-issue arc that Lena wants to take all the people she's kidnapped from Metropolis into the Phantom Zone to experiment on them. Okay. And also we find out that the Bizarrestes have been infected with the Amazo virus, which is how that one can change shape and take on different powers. Uh, and so we also find out that the Bizarrest that got ripped in half got brought along with Lana and Bizarrest number one back to Steelworks. And it's just laying on the ground. And they said that they need to study it to figure out the weaknesses. And they figure out that what they need to do to defeat Lena is to rescue Lex. Because he's the key in all this. Okay, that tracks. However, Lana and Bizarrest number one just show up at this, this time prison where Lex and the Krypton, Kryptonite man and also the Atomic Skull have been kept. And we see where the Atomic Skull is, his, is, in, is in his own little time cube. And inside the time cube, he just wanders off. Like he walks away and the time cube walks with him. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> like, okay. Now, this is the part that I actually like. So after Lex and Lana go back and forth and call each other names for a bit, we get Lex saying how he's tried to protect his sister since they were little, where they were both geniuses. Lena's actually smarter than Lex is, but they had this abusive dad. And we find more about why Lionel was abusive when we get into the Justice Doom War and how their progress was held back by them being resentful of them. And then one day, Lena wakes up and her legs can't move. Now, um... I don't think it's explained in this issue. It's not. They explain it in the next issue, but Lena developed Goulain-Barre syndrome, and I may be mispronouncing the first part of that. 
which is a disorder that's idiopathic. In other words, people don't know why some people get it. It's very rare. And it's where your nervous system attacks your spine, which causes paraplegia. Now, the reason I appreciate this is because my daughter, a few years ago, developed transverse myelitis, which is very similar to Guillain-Barre, except it's bifurcated, where it affects one side of your body or the other. And my daughter woke up one day when she was seven, and her left leg was numb. And shortly after that, she couldn't support it. And by the time I got to the ER, she couldn't hold up her left arm, and she couldn't move the left side of her body. And luckily, we got her to the ER in time, and they pumped her full of prednisone, and they immediately started her on physical therapy. And she, you know, she recovered like 95% of her mobility in the first few months. She has, she still has like 99% of her mobility, but she's always going to be a little bit weaker on her left side than she is her right side. And she's also going to always have some chronic pain because of the lesions that the um, that the attack on the spinal column leaves on the spine. And so I do really appreciate this aspect of Lena's backstory. Um, it's tragic, but in, in a way, it's, it's kind of some re representation. Now, unfortunately, it's representation in a villain, but we do get some apologetics for that, where um, Lex tried to create a serum using his own antibodies to cure her, but it made her worse and it made her, you know, instead of being patient and letting her go through therapy for weeks and months and years, he tried to rush it and permanently paralyzed her from the waist down. And then after, um, after Lex got the two of them out of Metropolis, away from their abusive dad, Lex used Lena's breakthroughs to become successful, but he kept her kind of locked away with her working on stuff. And um, he tried more and more experiments to try to cure her, but they eventually made her insane. Now, how it went from that to Lena being a disembodied head, I don't think we get a full explanation for that. But... Um, as they're talking and as Lex and Lana are arguing about what a huge piece of crap Lex was for doing that, his time cube gets uh, deactivated. He falls to the ground. He looks up and there's the atomic skull who's been freed from his own time cube saying that um, he, you know, if you want to save Metropolis, Lex, I would love, to, I'm going to help you, but it's going to cost you. And I'm not talking about money. And that's the end of that issue. Um, I really like the use of the atomic skull in this. I've said before, I want a, 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 an arc, um, uh, like a reformation arc for the atomic skull. He's not evil. He's just mentally unwell. Here he is. He's on his meds. He's trying to do right. He just has very dangerous powers and has mental illness. I don't think we ever fully get that, but it would have been pretty neat. So uh, before I do more commentary, let me go on to issue seven. And let me find the credits on this one. And let's see here. Where are they? Where are the credits? They're not at the very end. Are they at the very beginning? I don't know. 
let's see. Yeah. Oh, they're actually at the very beginning. Wow. Okay. So, um, again, scripted and layout by Phil Jimenez. Finishes by Matt Santorelli. Pages 1 through 5 and 17 through 20. And then Jack Herbert, pages 6 through 16. Letters by Josh Reed and colors by Hi-Fi. Um, I forgot to talk about the covers on the last one, but that's okay. Let's just, let's just keep going. And, um, so here we're getting a brief recap of everything that happened last issue. Um, Natasha Irons has also, uh, put together a series of armors that she's going to have some other young ladies pilot. We don't find out I we don't know who they are or it's not mentioned here explicitly who they are again I feel like a lot of this series depends on you the reader having a lot of knowledge about the new 52 and I don't which is unfortunate uh, I'm working on it but um the the atomic skull says that all he wants from Lex is an apology and Lex is like, no, I'll never apologize to you. You're a vermin. You know, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, Tracy 13, who is a... Can manipulate the magic of cities, is trying to rally the spirit of Metropolis to fight back, I guess. Um, <laughs> again, it's not really explicitly stated what she's doing. But she says that the city is crying out for help. And we get this scene where Lana and Mercy help Lex get to his feet. And, uh, and you know, the Atomic Skull is saying, you know, you really should apologize. And Lex is saying never. And then the Atomic Skull just zaps him with purple energy. And Lex is like, how dare you? And finally, Lana tells him to shut up. And... Lex says he's sorry. Um, and then we, we get this moment where the kryptonite man, who again is basically a disembodied head as well, just tells Lex, hey, have you tried rebooting your armor? And Lex is like, that's stupid. Um, but then he reboots his armor. And now his armor works again. And no one will prevent me from being the Superman of the city again. And now... This story arc takes place before the end of the action comic story that we've just finished talking about. So Lena has Lex's Superman cape, um, and which she has on display in another little time cube. Um, and I'm guessing it, it says that what Lena did somehow, I'm guessing with her mother box, was disable his armor to the point where he couldn't get it off and she made it to where the legs didn't work. So she was simulating him being paraplegic as well. So, again, the art in this series is phenomenal. It's really neat. It's kind of next-level concept stuff, but without an explanation, a lot of it doesn't make sense. So, I've mentioned how Lena's got this massive torso piece for her battle armor. It, it's like Shogun Warrior's kaiju size by now. And then her head is floating above it. And there's this light coming up from the inside of the armor. I'm guessing it's like an anti-gravity field. Now, why it has that in some cases, and it has technological cables in the other, is never explained. 
it now has six arms, which is neat. And the arms aren't exactly attached, but they're hovering near the torso through like anti-grav stuff. But now also the armor has this giant snake tail for reasons, I guess. It, why it has a giant snake tail, I do not know. <laughs> now we go out into the city where Steel and Natasha and the, and the other people in armor are fighting Bizarruses and um, Lex and Lena, I'm sorry, Lex and Lana have no idea how to stop Lena. So um, Lana, Bizarrus number one, Lex in the Atomic Skull, they all fly up to the Gestalt where, where Lena is and they smash in and they're like, ha, stop, Lena. And she's like, no. And then Savior attacks. Now, Savior was this character from the 90s who was a religious zealot who somehow got the ability to alter reality around himself and basically change himself into whatever he wanted to and do whatever and give himself whatever powers he wanted. And he was convinced that. Um, Superman never really came back from the dead and that the Superman that was there was an imposter. He hates liars. And I think he was one of the prisoners, one of one of the people that Lena captured in the time cubes, but she's released him to be her minion and he is attacking uh, Lex. And meanwhile, the Atomic Skull is trying to figure out how the time cubes work and how to stop them. And, um, <laughs> and so we get this, this, not a fight, but we get a conversation between Lena and Lana and how Lena is saying that the two of them could have been friends if Lana wasn't such a snob and had never paid attention to her back in Smallville, and Lena's saying, and I actually like this part where, where Lana is saying, look, I was trying to put together this team of powerful, empowered women. And like, I didn't like Lois, but we had a bond and we worked together and it didn't matter if you and I liked each other, we could have worked together. Um, but just as uh, B0S number one smashes in and attacks and Lena, I guess, destroys her, Lana manifests this nanotech armor that Natasha had created for her called the Insect Queen, which is a reference to Lana having bug powers in the Silver and Early Bronze Age and calling herself the Insect Queen. Um, and Lana saying, I always thought I was a little on the nose until I saw how it channeled my power. If I don't know why that would be on the nose. I, I don't get it. Unless it's like a somehow Lana breaking the fourth wall, but I don't think she is. And so she powers way, way up. And she blasts Lena just as hard as she can. And the two of them fight. And as they fight, Lana evolves into this big cloud of orange and yellow energy. 
and Lena somehow evolves into this big cloud of green energy with a person head in the middle of it. Um, and they fight, and I because Lena turned into energy, and because Lana can control energy, she destroyed Lena, I guess. Oh no, my app crashed. Um, okay, hang on, let me pause. Oh goodness, one second. Okay, so we see that Bizarrus number one did not get destroyed. She just got knocked through the outer hall of the Gestalt and she catches the Gestalt before it can smash into Metropolis and hits Savior with it. She punches punches out this dude with this uh, giant spaceship, which she then drops into Hobbs Bay. And um, as they all gather around, the mysterious figure in the red hoodie walks up to Lana and says, It's me! It's Lois Lane! And um, later on, where Lana is sitting in a chair somewhere, um, her powers begin to overload, and blood begins to come out of her nose, and she's got blood all over her face, and it looks like she's starting to crumble to ash. And uh, Steele says, what's, my God, what's happening to her? And Lois says the same thing that happened to the other Lois, the same thing that happened to me. And it says, next, the final fate of Lana Lang and um, it looks like that the next no okay <laughs> then there's goodness okay so the next issue is going to actually be a tie-in to the Superman Reborn story arc that we'll be getting to pretty shortly in Action Comics and Superman so we will be covering it. Um, but for the most part, I think as far as this series goes, I have some reservations about whether or not I'm making the right decision to mostly summarize the Supergirl series. As far as the Superwoman series goes, I'm, I'm positive I'm making the right decision. Now, ironically, after issue eight, we get a different writer. So... Maybe I'll feel differently once I read a little farther ahead. But right now, the way the series is written, I think it's got some really fascinating comics. I think Lena evolving herself into this thing that she's become is cool. But it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, if I'm just missing the context and you want to tell me how wrong I am, by all means, reach out. Um, I'll reiterate all my contact information at the end of the show. But... Um, I hate to be so negative, but, um, yeah, I'm just, just not digging this, digging this series very much. So, um, let me, <laughs> let me close out this book and I'm going to take another quick break and I'll be right back to wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 47 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. Again, I apologize for how negative the second half of the show's coverage was. Um, 
it was, it was just a, a rough read for me. Um, but anyway, um, I did really enjoy talking about the Action Comics issue, and I hope you enjoy the show as well. If you do enjoy the show and if you'd like to help support it, you can do so at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope, where for $3 a month, you get four episodes of uh, coverage of my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories. I just started the Death of Superman arc last week. I'll be continuing it this week, building up to the actual Death of Superman in Superman number 75, which is a good time to read. Uh, if you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always leave me a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at About Superman. You can also find me on Hive, at About Superman. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, Hive doesn't work real good. <laughs> um, it's like, a, the way it's set up is like a cross between Twitter and Instagram. Basically, it's, it's image-based, but then you have a lot more characters to type out whatever you're going to type. It, the site does not load well. Um, I think it's gotten a big influx of people in the last month or so since Twitter went sideways. Uh, I think it's got more people than the site can handle. But I appreciate what they're trying to do. And according to what I've heard, the people that run it are very anti-hate. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I hope it gets better. Um, I do have to say that when I first signed up for my account and I went to the search thing to look for some of my friends, uh, there's a whole lot of thirsty images on this thing. Um, mostly of cosplay girls. And that's not really what I'm on social media for. So I'm like, ah, oh, geez, this does does not bode well. But we'll see what happens and hopefully it gets better. Um, I'm on Instagram, at Truth, Justice, and Hope. And there's also a Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast Facebook page that you're welcome to check out. So let's see what we're going to be talking about next time. So um, that took us up through January and the beginning of February. So let's see. Trinity number five came out January 18th. And what else have we got coming up here? Dun, 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 dun. Superman number 16. Really? Is there a chance that I have that that's going to work out really well? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, it looks like we'll be talking about uh, Trinity number 5 from January 18th. And we'll be talking about Superman number 16th from February 1st of 2017. And that's going to be a good time all around. I'm really looking forward to it. But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love ya.